everybody, and again, welcome to Take a Knee. Pastor David here. Oh, you know, there's a lot of talk about what's happening in the world today and the environmental scheme of things. Boy, it's quite a talk, isn't it? I mean, we've got the Green New Deal, and I'm not even sure what that's all about, other than this emphasis to bring us back to more simplicity when it comes to power and what we're doing to the environment and all the different things we do. It definitely sounds like a good idea. In fact, I want to talk about the environment here today. And I want to begin by sharing a story with you, which you, of course, know I love to do. But this is a very personal story to me. Of course, I share a lot of personal stories, but this one is even more so, especially when you think of the environment. And I might be sharing in a way that you're not used to when you think of a person that is conservative, as I consider myself. But I want to share with you a story that began in a small little town in Michigan called St. Louis. It was a fun, safe, and wonderful little town. And it's the town that I actually grew up in when I was born and lived in until I was about eight years old. So probably around 1971, I would have moved away to another town. But I lived in St. Louis. It's where a good deal of my younger childhood, and I remember the city quite well. Again, I would play in its streets and fight with my brothers and ride bikes and play kickball and dodgeball till late in the evening. It was a wonderful place to grow up and so many little stories and things that took place, an amazing amount of memory that I have regarding this little town and especially having older brothers and sisters who went to junior high school and high school there. So many amazing memories that I have there, some that were fun and good and others not so much. And I'd like to share with you that little did I know that when I was growing up there, that this little town was also known for being one of the nation's most deadly environmental disasters. In fact, you can look it up. If you want a Wikipedia, just go and type in St. Louis, Michigan, environmental disaster. And there is a whole breakdown of what took place there. And yes, I grew up in that little town. But let me explain. See, the nation as a whole was already being kind of shaken. Going back to a book that was written called Silent Spring by a lady named Rachel Carson. The book was published in 1962, I believe. Now, what the book was all about, Rachel Carson, from what I understand, worked on a state park. So she was a ranger. And so she loved nature. She worked for her state. I believe it was in Massachusetts where she was from. And as she began to notice, as they were treating heavily for bugs and pests, that also she noticed that a lot of birds and other animals were dying, hence the title Silent Spring. So she was in this situation where she was becoming disturbed. She loved the birds, as we all do. But she noticed that this chemical that was being used, and it was used actually during World War II as a pesticide and also used to kill mosquitoes, of course, to keep those things away, to keep the mosquitoes away, to help keep malaria from growing and spreading among the soldiers and people around the world. So this chemical, I believe it was called DD. And this chemical was being sprayed also domestically to kill off pests. Well, what she discovered as she did a real deep dive and she began to take in and do research herself and found people, environmentalists and people. In fact, environmentalism was not really even a big deal. It wasn't even known as being environmentalism at the time. 
because Silent Spring would be the book that would explode and would have to be a part of what eventually became the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. Now, some of us, when we think of the EPA, we don't always think good things. And that would be another discussion. But I wanted to just kind of, again, tie you into this childhood experience that we have. And so there was already a sense among the populace that began to grow after the book Silent Spring was published. And so people were becoming more scrutinizing about what was being sprayed in their neighborhoods, what was being used in their foods. So this began to explode, of course, what was being sprayed on our corn, our wheat, our oats, all of the things that were being used and put over our food. Well, the disturbing thing is that even after the book came out, the corporations and those who were producing DDT and other chemicals, and quite a few other chemicals, they were defending themselves and they had a rabid angry response to the book and began to defend themselves and began to perpetuate or continue to perpetuate rather that these chemicals were safe and that they would have no long-term effects on mankind's health. Well, that was really hard to believe when you saw a bird flying through the sky and then drop dead right there in your front yard. And then people began to also notice that when the springtime came, they didn't hear birds singing. They didn't hear crickets chirping. Silence. It was very disturbing, and she had called out something that was definitely happening all across the country. So that was 1962. So fast forward now to 1973, when in my hometown, they had a chemical plant. I'm not going to use the name of the chemical plant. You can look it up and find it there in Wikipedia. But again, I was born in 1963 and grew up and did not leave until 1971. So we actually had moved away when the 1973 disaster took place. What had happened, and let me explain this, is that there was a particular chemical. I'm not sure if it was DDT or I think there was another acronym or name for it. You can look it up. For some reason, it's slipping my mind right now. But the chemical that this chemical plant in my hometown was producing was going to be used for various chemical needs. But what accidentally happened is that it was packaged in a very similar package to a nutrient that they would use in cattle feed or feed that they would use for animals. And it got mixed in. And so once it got mixed in because it was sent to the feed places to be mixed in as a supplement into the grains that were fed to the animals, they are now eating this poisonous chemical that was going to affect their milk. It was going to affect the eggs and the chickens. It was going to affect the meat. It was going to affect everything, anything that would eat the dung that came from these animals, so birds and reptiles and rodents. What they saw take place after this chemical disaster was animals dying, animals having deformations in their offspring. And so it hit central Michigan very, very hard because now all of those families that lived in central Michigan, and I'm not sure how far it affected it, but the milk that was coming from these milk cows that had eaten it had this chemical in it. Of course, we all know that in the early 70s, milk was a big, big thing, you know, and we would drink gallons of it in our cereal and we would eat it. We would drink it, you know, huge cups of it for dinner. And so this is being fed to young families all throughout lower and central Michigan. And it was a disaster. And even to this very day, most people don't know just to what degree this really affected the population of Michigan. Another thing, you know, was that 
as a shock, you know, so that when this happened, of course, the state woke up and of course they were defending it at first, but it was no way they could because it was just causing havoc. Now, I was a young boy, so this is 1973. I would have been about 10 years old and living in another city. And so I remember hearing my parents talk about this, but it was all kind of downplayed as if, well, you know, not everybody got that gallon of milk and maybe we didn't drink enough of it to be the case. Well, they since learned that, no, this was very, very devastating and it affected people's health even to this very day. Now, one of the things also they did was once they found out that this chemical came from this chemical plant, of course, they were going to track it back and ask the question, well, how did you package this? I mean, because clearly they wanted to sue that company for sending the grain feed company these chemicals that they thought were something else. So, of course, they're going to go back and investigate that plant. Now, this is where it gets a little more overwhelming is that when they went and found the plant that was actually right on the border, sitting right next to what is called the Pine River. And I remember, look it up on your map sometime, the Pine River, beautiful little winding river. And there's rivers all over Michigan. And with this beautiful river that wound through our town. And I remember as a kid, I would go and my brother would spear carp and we would fish in that river. And again, it just had the most beautiful bends that would go through our little town. But little did anyone know that this company had been dumping chemicals into this river for years. In fact, there were spills, there were dumps, there were all kinds of things taking place on these many, multiple dozens of acres of land that bordered right on this river. And one of the things that actually took place after that, because of course now they're saying, well, no, there's nothing really wrong with the river. They're doing everything for damage control. Well, I think the stuff hit the fan when the circus came to town. And I remember my brother telling me about this, that the circus came to town and an elephant, a huge, beautiful elephant was playing down in the water of the river. And it was splashing around because the fairgrounds also bordered on that river and it would splash and it would drink some of that water. Well, guess what? The elephant died. The elephant died at the circus right there in town. Of course, everybody began to panic because now there is really just no hiding. The more they began to look at what had taken place, they tore down the building. And now, even to this day, 50 years later, the land is still toxic. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, as I said, you can go and there still are groups of people that grew up there that would have been people that I would have known. They would have been my friends when I was a little boy there, are still fighting to get the chemicals removed and to call attention to get more help to detoxify the property. The problem is the chemicals went so down deep and then they have been digging. They've been digging out this toxic soil and going down however deep they can go, but they can only do so much because of the water table that is there and how widespread it is. And so it is truly, truly an environmental disaster that is still affecting that poor little beautiful town even to this day. Now multiply that times dozens, maybe even hundreds of little towns all across our nation. Now I'm not here as to one to say that I'm a rabid EPA environmentalist myself. I think there are those who take this thing to an extreme, hence, you know, the little girl on television, right? But we should not ignore this either because it draws attention to something that I think that I'm really talking about right now in my sermons about paradigm shifts and about awakenings and about the reality of what's really going on out there in the world. And to what degree does greed really begin to pull the wool over our eyes? Now, I grew up in a state 
And of course, I've been living in North Carolina ever since, and I love North Carolina. It has its natural beauty. We have our mountains, we have our beaches, we have our Piedmont, we have our beautiful lands and lifestyles and all the animals and the beauty that we have in our wonderful state. I love North Carolina, but I loved Michigan too. And anybody knows anything about Michigan, it's got the Great Lakes, it's got rivers, it's got lakes, it's got fish, it's got hunting. It's a beautiful land, a beautiful state. But it absolutely breaks my heart to think that so much damage was done to so many of those little towns during the 50s and 60s into the 70s. And now those lands, those properties, those beautiful areas have been devastated for generations to come. Now, let me also, I didn't mention this, that they are now also seeing people my age beginning to have early cancers, having liver problems, thyroid problems, high instance of cancers of people that lived in that town. And of course, you may not know this, but when I was 20 years old, I'd had half my colon removed because of what was called Crohn's disease. And none of that was in my family. None of that was something that we had experienced, but came out of nowhere for me. But remember, I was a milk drinker. I was living in St. Louis. And so there's probably strong reason to believe that I was affected by that. So that's why it's so personal to me. But again, I'm not over here, you know, shaking things. I'm not suing the town. I'm leaving that up to the people who lived there all their lives and maybe even still live there. That is their battle. And it's an ongoing one. They're hoping that another generation of young people will rise up and continue to keep the state accountable for cleaning up those lands. Because folks, look, if it's still leaching into those waters, those waters go for 100 miles. I don't know how far the river goes, but I know that there's a watershed that continues to be affected by this. It continues to be affected, the groundwater for all of those cities. Of course, all of us have heard of Flint and what took place there. And so it's very heartbreaking when you think how greed would control. So now let's move on. To finish with what I really wanted to get to as a result of this story is that it is our responsibility. I mean, we shouldn't reject out of hand a desire to want to care for what God gave to us. I think anybody who knows Bible, anybody who knows the character of God and knowing that this world was given to us as a gift and we were called to take care of. Look it up. Adam and Eve were gardeners. They were called to care for the animals they were given, care for the property and the land and the garden they were given. And of course, after that, you know, the earth was cursed and then we continue to, but we can still fight. We can still work to keep what God gave us in its beauty. And in many ways, if we just would do certain things, it would be much better off. And so looking at the chemicals that we use. And that's another thing I wanted to share with you real quickly is that they have found that a lot of these chemicals only made the pest situation even worse. So in other words, it really did not accomplish the goal. I've got a good friend that I really should bring on this podcast to share with you some of the natural things that they're doing on farms here in North Carolina to get chemicals out of our growing experience, growing on our farms to use to make bigger yields. There are natural things that we can do that have just as much impact in creating foods that are clean, that are organic, if you want to call it that. But getting back to our message here. So when it comes to being a believer, truth is something that comes in all forms. Okay, it's not just moral truth in the sense of how we treat ourselves and treat others and how we think and walk, but it's having a good conscience when it comes to taking care of what God has given us. And what we see is that there are corporations, there are groups that are out there that don't care what happens to people. They don't care that generations of children are being poisoned and dying early deaths 
or having cancers or neurological disorders. They don't care until, of course, it happens to them. And then you might get a whistleblower from time to time. But because there's often billions of dollars involved in this, greed really controls it all. In the Bible, we read in Luke chapter 12, what we call the woes. And I'm not going to read good portions of it, only just to say, for the sake of time here, that you should read it. And what Jesus is doing here in Luke 12 is he's calling out the Pharisees. He's calling them out because of their greed, because of their dispassionate and unconscionable treatment of their fellow human beings. They see themselves as superior, walking around with their colorful clothing and their headdress and all of the different things that Jesus called out and said, these guys are hypocrites because they act like they're close to God, but they're nowhere near him. Jesus said they follow their their father, the devil, which is pretty intense. But he says, woe to them because of what they're doing. Woe because of how they're treating human beings and children. Remember Jesus said that? He said, you know, if you mistreat one of these children, just tie a millstone around your neck and be gone because this is, in God's eyes, a great evil. And of course, we know this is taking place in our world today. But when we think of environmentalism, when we don't think of how this affects our children and how it affects the next generation, greed is controlling it. And it's evil, evil at its core. And it's something that we should call out. And remember the woes, the woes are there. In other words, there's going to be judgment on those who do this. And I'm not calling judgment. I'm calling that we would repent. I'm calling that even as Christians, we would not bury our heads in the sand when it comes to those who put things in our water. We all, even here in North Carolina, our water treatments, we get these reports that come in the mail and they tell us that they're acceptable levels. And a lot of people I know, they drink only bottled water or they filter it because they don't trust the fluoride and the other chemicals that are being put in there. The heavy metals, the amounts of drugs and certain things that are in our water that could be affecting us, and we don't even know it's there. And so we have to be on our guard and pray and pray for exposure. And I'm not sharing all of this really to scare you, but to awaken us, because I think that now is the time. I think now is the time we strike while it's hot. You know, not everything that is conspiracy is conspiracy, but when it's exposed and people are dying and Things are being spent on wars and rumors of wars. And chemicals are obviously in our water or drugs are being obviously led across our borders. Then it's time for us as Christians to pray and to be alert because our enemy, the devil, goes around prowling, looking for someone he may devour. We can't let him do that. Peter tells us that, right? We can't let him do that. We must completely be ready and on our guard to not just try to eat healthy or to drink only clean water, but to call out those who are creating those things that might be damaging us. Let me finish with this last verse for you that I absolutely hold on to. Matter of fact, it just came to mind because it is something that I have believed and have prayed over my children. I want to give it to you right now because I think you're really going to like this. And we can find it in Mark chapter 16 toward the end. And it says, In verse 17, listen to this. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And they will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. 
I love this verse. And I hold on to this verse every single day when I think about the poisons. He's talking about drinking deadly poison that somebody's forcing us to drink. But I don't think it is limited by that. It's the poison that we find in our water, the poison that's in our air, the poisons that are in our food. You know what I do, folks? Every day, not every day, but a lot, (laughs) a lot. I'll say, Lord, I know there's probably something in this going to hurt me. I know there's probably cancer-causing agents in this water. I know that right now the air I'm breathing smells like sulfur. I know that that exhaust fume, that that streak in the sky, that all these different things that I know exist in our world today, Lord, I can drink, I can breathe it, I can touch it, and it will not hurt me. These signs will follow those that believe, right? So, my friends, there are solutions that are both natural and spiritual. And when we think of the environment, let's not be afraid. We are people of faith. We are people of dominion. We are people of the kingdom of God. And so I hope you hung with me to the very end here, because now I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, that God, there is a blanket of protection that surrounds your people. The pestilence that stalks at night, the arrow that flies by day in Psalm 91, that Lord, even if we strike our foot against a stone, your angels will come and lift us and bear us up. That wasn't just for you, Jesus. That was for your people as well. That, Lord, these things are not going to come near us. God, we can trust you. Lord, we live in a violent world. We live in a poisoned world. Lord, we live in a broken, deadly, cursed world. But, Lord, we are your people. And, Lord, we follow the kingdom of God. And we have the kingdom of God in our heart. And, Lord, we have the word of faith in our mouth. And, Lord, we can declare and we can walk with an absolute sense of vision and purpose and hope and protection, Lord, that none of these things will come near us, near our tent, near our families. Lord, we thank you. Lord, even though we've got these viruses out there in the world and they make us sick, Lord, we do recover. And Lord, when we recover because of the laying out of hands or faith, Lord, we're stronger even more because of faith. Lord, we thank you now. Bless us, keep us, and make your face shine upon us today and this whole week until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, folks. So glad you joined me. Have a great week.